All right, so in Kappa, uh, all this semester we've been doing a series through the New Testament book of Acts, studying, you know, studying the first Christians, studying the early church, and seeing what we could learn from them. Our first meetings this semester looked a lot like the early church, just small little groups meeting in each other's uh, homes, meeting in each other's apartments, meeting mostly online, you know, Zoom virtually. Um, and, uh, and so we've been studying the book of Acts last week, and Natalie and I, uh, talk about the ministry of Philip, uh, how God used him. And in life groups this week, we continue to look at Philip's uh, ministry as God used him to share with the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and uh, we're going to continue the story. Uh, so now we're going to turn the page, uh, leave Philip for a little bit, and uh, turn the page to Acts chapter 9. Uh, talk about what happens meanwhile. Meanwhile. So Jack, Jack and all Jack is sharing tonight. You guys give Jack a hand. I need to go tell my mom I love her. 
happening because we were broken, you guys. We were broken. Um, and this, this goes on for like several days. And I like talk to a friend about this and they're like, maybe it's God. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want God to say. Because our relationship was broken and that was terrifying. The thought of like walking up to my mom at a place we're at and saying, I love you. Like that was terrifying. So um, this goes on for a few days. I was, I was wandering around. I was out. I was at the store and I found this little bear. This little cheap bear right at Walmart. And so I bought him, and I drove home, and I like literally like handed him to my mom, and I was like, I love you. And then I ran. I'm not kidding. Like, I ran out of that room, you guys. Like, it was the height of maturity. Um, but I ran, and I, and I threw this bear in my hands, and I ran. And, like, I really believe that the Lord put it in my heart to do that. And at the time, it was scary. At the time, it was terrifying. And I would love to say that, like, she came to Jesus the next day and our relationship was immediately healed and all that. No. But it opened the door for the Lord to start a process where he healed our relationship. He healed a relationship with our family. We started to actually enjoy spending time together. And after several, several years of, like, prayer, um, she did, like, end up coming to Christ, his wife. Two, two and a half years ago, she finally put her put her trust in Christ. So I like this first one is when I'm a teenager. I'll know I'm kind of a teenager now. <laughs> so it was a long process. But she put her faith in Christ. And um, you know, it was like just in time because like a few months after that we found out that she had cancer. And now she's gone on to be with the Lord. But she's gone on to be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. And it was like it started Partly, you know, God was working outside of, of just Jackie. But it started partly with obedience. Just to obey the voice of the Lord, you know. And uh, after that, I have a reverence for when, like, Jesus speaks to me. I'm like, whew, get me ready. Then speak to me, right? Because, uh, man, sometimes he speaks to us. And then he tells us to do the hard thing. And we're like, well, that's not where I was hoping that would go. Um, so tonight, we're going to see two different guys in the Bible, and God's gonna gonna encounter and challenge and speak to two different people, and so we're gonna read their story, see how um, they respond, and see what God does, and see what we can learn from it. Okay. Um. So one of these guys you've probably heard of, the other one maybe, maybe not. Um. But the first one you're you're gonna recognize because we talked about him a few weeks ago. And it starts out, like I said, like that good cut scene, meanwhile. <laughs> Praise God for extra videos that we didn't end up needing. Um, but Izzy dances in it. And then what does he do? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. So we'll show you that video later. If you haven't seen it, you can enjoy that. Um, but it says, meanwhile. And so we're hearing what's happening elsewhere from... Philip and the Ethiopian and Simon the Sorcerer, like we talked about last week and in our life groups this week. And remember that we talked about the early church had started experiencing persecution at this point. And so the Christians had spread from Jerusalem all over the place to kind of try to escape the persecution. But God is using this to advance the gospel. And remember back when we talked about Stephen. There was a young guy, and he was standing there, and he was standing there holding the coats, and he was giving approval 
of the fact that they were stoning this Christian brother to death. Right? And so tonight, we're going to hear more about that guy. That guy that was holding the coat. It says this in Acts 1 and 9. Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this is the first guy we're going to talk about tonight. His name is Saul, or I like to call him Saul to Paul, right? Because he doesn't say Paul. Um, but Saul is apparently so into persecution that he is willing to travel 150 miles north to Damascus, which is in like modern-day Syria, to go after the people of God. And whether this is because he's trying to build his rep as like a good young Jewish Pharisee, or like he's sincerely start, trying to stop the spread of Christianity because he believes it's false, we don't really know his motive, but we know that he was zealous. Because this dude is traveling really far with a lot of intense passion to go after Christians and to try and stop them. So he's trying to take them down, and verse 3 tells us what happens. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told there what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here we see this first guy that we're talking about tonight encounter Jesus. He literally encounters the living Christ on the way to Damascus. He falls down, probably off of his horse, after he sees a bright light, and then he hears a voice, and we know that he has not lost it completely because the guys traveling with him hear it too, okay? They all hear the voice. They don't all see the bright light, but he encounters God, and then he gets called out, and he finds himself blind. Now, that's a God encounter right there, right? Like, all of this happens, and I mean, I don't know about you guys, because that happened to me. I would be shaken. I would be shaken. Um, and I think it's really important, because Saul, so like I said, later called Paul, he wrote a huge part of your New Testament. Like, the Bible that you have in paper form or in your phone, he wrote a huge part of the New Testament. And in it, he later refers to this conversion experience. He refers to this experience right here, blinding light, voice from heaven, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Going blind as his conversion, as the point at which he decided to follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says that Jesus appeared to him as one abnormally born. And um, God encounters Saul, and it leads to a life change, to repentance and acceptance that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. So you guys, this man falls down a Jewish Pharisee. And he gets up from the ground, a follower of Christ. Like it is like a conversion like that. Now, does this mean that every conversion experience needs to be radical? No. No, like sometimes we come to Christ and it is like a huge, like frightening experience or a huge emotional experience. Sometimes we simply sit and we pray and we say, Jesus, I need you. And he comes in 
we need to be for our lives. The important thing is that we can trust Him as Lord and Savior, and our life has changed. Okay? It's not how it happened, but in Saul's case, it's pretty dramatic. Um, and so, one question I'll ask you tonight is like, have you done that? Have you come to a place before the Lord that you have acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior? That you've thought about, who is Jesus? Like, really, who is He? Not, who do people say He is? Not, who do professors say He is? Not, who does a pastor that speaks on Sunday morning say He is? But, who is Jesus to you? You know, because we, we read in God's Word that He was born of a virgin, right? He lived a sinless life. He did miracles among, among us. And then He suffered, and He died on the cross, and He died not because we had ever done anything wrong, but because we had done wrong. And he wanted to make our relationship right with God. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death in the grave. And we have the opportunity now to trust on him, to trust on the work that he accomplished and become children of God. Each and every one of us have that opportunity. We may not have a blinding light, we may not have a voice from heaven, but we have the opportunity to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So I challenge you to think about that tonight. If you've not done that, there is no more important thing you can do in this life. No more important thing you can do in this life but to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So now we're going to look at the second guy, the second part of this passage, right? We talked about Saul Paul, right? And now we're going to look at the second guy, which you may or may not have heard of. Acts 9, 10 through 12, it says this. In Damascus, remember that's where Saul is headed, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him, and restore his sight. So the Lord speaks to the second guy, Ananias, He's already a Christian. He's in Damascus. So he's literally one of the guys that Saul is headed to persecute and destroy and take back to Jerusalem in chains. But God speaks to him and he says, go pray for Saul. And he tells him he's going to be part of like an incredible miracle, right? And so, like, I don't know about you guys, but God spoke to me like, you get to be part of this incredible miracle. Like, be kind of exciting, right? But, he also knows who Saul is, whose reputation precedes him, right? So in verse 13, he says this, Lord, Ananias answers, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So we read here that Ananias, even though he knows who this guy is, he knows that he was going to go persecute the Christians. Ananias decides to obey the Lord. He goes, he prays for Saul, and Saul regains his sight, and he joins the Christian community, right? So not only does Saul join the Christian community, he goes on to be a missionary, like we'll read as we go through Acts. He goes on to be a missionary, goes on three separate missionary journeys, starts churches throughout the Roman Empire, and writes what comes to about a third of the New Testament, right? So he goes on to do incredible things, absolutely incredible things. So my question about Ananias is this. What if Ananias had told God no? Like, what if God had spoken to Ananias, I want you to go to this dude who's probably going to put you in chains if his life's not really changed, and pray for him so he'll be healed, and Ananias had said no, right? I'd like to argue that God spread to the church throughout the Roman world through Paul, through Paul because Ananias obeyed. I'd like to argue we have a third of our New Testament because Ananias obeyed. We can really look at Paul and all the things the Lord did in him and through him, and we can't look at that without stopping to acknowledge that God also used Ananias to play a part in this. And I think that's kind of like us in, in the Christian community, like sometimes there's somebody who's an upfront person that God is like using and everybody sees it. But behind them, there's like tons of people that the Lord has used to bring them to that place and to minister to them. So I love that despite his own feelings, Ananias chooses to obey God. He went to minister to Paul. He didn't limit what God could do, right? He doesn't limit God. He doesn't say, oh, you can't change that guy's life like he's a murderer. No. He goes, he trusts the Lord, he obeys. I think this is an example for us because God wants us to obey him even when he leads us to difficult people and places. And you guys, there are a lot of humans on this earth that are difficult. That's right. There are a lot of humans on this earth that are incredibly hard to love. But I really believe that the Lord is challenging us to love them anyways for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. To love them and, and to pursue them for the sake of the gospel. I also love this. Ananias is kind. If you read this passage, he calls him Brother Saul. Like he goes to him with kindness and he prays for him. He's not like, Dude, I'm afraid of you. You better not come for me. No, he, like, he goes and he prays for him, and he's kind to him. I think this is an example for us also, that it's not always easy to love those God calls us to love, especially when it's somebody we're afraid of or when we're unsure of their motives or they've been mean to us in the past. That's not easy, but God uses it. So even when we're afraid and unsure, we're called to follow Jesus' commands. Like it says in John 13 to 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. So Jesus calls us, he calls us to love. He calls us, he calls us to obey him, to obey his word, to obey his voice. And so I kind of want to leave you guys as we wrap this part up, just with those two questions. We're going to take a few moments, we're going to pray. But the first question is, like, have you encountered God like Paul? Have you come to a place where you feel like, Jesus, I want to make you my Savior. I want to make my life not about me, 
and instead about you and your glory and kingdom. Have you done that? Right? And then the second question is, like if God speaks to you something hard to do, will you obey? Right? Will you obey? Will you love anyways? Will you love because Jesus loved you? So you don't need the love of the person because you're already loved by a perfect Savior. And nobody can take that away from you. Whether that person he called you to go pursue with the gospel has good motives or bad, nobody can take away what Jesus has done for you. 